Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And this week, we are changing things up because we found a problem. Uh, That's the name of our podcast. Not that problem. Yeah. So our original plan was to do each part of the book individually. So five episodes per book-ish. But part three was uh, super long. long, So we split it up. And this week, we are doing chapters 9 to 13. Part three goes all the way to the, them having the meeting with um, the iron guy and stuff. It's like, Fairfax. wow, it just goes on and on. I was like, oh, my God, there's too much. We, we take too long as it is. I didn't trust us to not have a four hour episode or something. And if we had a four hour episode, I would revolt in the middle of it. Yeah, it would, I couldn't do it either. So. And no one wants to listen to that. We blather on too long as it is. Yeah, it's too much. So two, part one and part two, here we go. Part one and part two of part three. Oh, part three. Yeah. yeah. Part three, part one. <laughs> chapter nine kicks it off. Uh, in chapter nine, Lucy comes home from the hospital and George yells at her for causing Lockwood's injuries. That's what everyone wants when they come home from the hospital. Yeah. Uh, the chapter art in chapter nine is, I think, some of the... Uh, Lockwood's artifacts? Yes, artifacts. Great. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how to explain them without using the strangely, kind of casually racist way that the book describes them. Yeah, it always calls them ethnic, right? Yeah. Which, which is like, there was a book that I read recently, I can't remember what it was, where they made a joke of that word i think it was the book eaters i told you i was talking to you about that book yeah and they part of it's like in a library or something and they talk about the ethnic books as like as like a whole different flavor or something like that but it's like a joke they're not being serious about it uh but yeah it's weird to call things ethnic because like everything is ethnic like what do you mean it's very othering yeah it i don't like it and this the whole it's never really addressed but you very much get the feeling that lockwood's parents went to other cultures and i mean hopefully traded for things you know yeah hopefully bought traded left on good terms took their stuff though didn't steal yeah one way or another they took their stuff yeah I guess they were, I don't know anything about this, but I've I've always had the sense that they were like just trying to find other ways of like addressing the problem, maybe other techniques. They were definitely researching it. Yeah. Like whether or not it was to solve or or anything of that sort of ilk or if they just wanted to know more as researchers do, which I mean, you need to know more to solve issues, to solve problems. But they, yeah. They have the stuff up like decorations and trophies and not like, it doesn't feel like, I don't know, experimental stuff. Uh, I mean, not the stuff you can see. Right. But the chapter really opens where we left off before the flashback. Um, They're sitting outside a burning building after having sort of fallen out of it. There's all kinds of little things of like the emergency people show up in like chain mail. Yeah, I I underline that too because that's I like it. It's it's a good detail. I like that a lot. Yeah, and just like thinking about oh yeah, like adults have to go out into the night, and you probably to solve problems like this with ghosts 
that are like ghost related emergencies. They just need special protective equipment. Like I just love how attentive he is to all the details of the world. Yeah. We talked about this a lot during the show because we talked about the night cab drivers and I think maybe we talked about ambulance drivers and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And how they must have annual, uh, you know, this is who died this year parties. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so much easier for Stroud, I think, to just drop a line like this mm -hmm. than for like a costume department to have to be like, okay, we have everybody in chain mail. Yep. Are we going to have, you know, like it's expensive. I guess that's why they put them in the um, the Monsters, Inc. Uh, hazmat suits in the show, because <laughs> right. that's a little cheaper. Right, right. I would presume that's cheaper than having them make, you know, chain iron. I turned they, the page, so like, I don't have the word anymore. The, the chain mail. Like, where's, the, where's the Monty Python armor from, <laughs> from Holy Grail? <laughs> the, they pull up it with coconuts instead of a fire truck. <laughs> It's okay. a different yeah. This different is funny to nobody show at but that us. point, right? <laughs> so I am I am so confused about the timeline of Lockwood here because they've jumped out of the building and Lucy says that they are that she and Lockwood are just sort of sitting hunched at the base of the bushes that saved their lives and they yeah, have answered some yeah. medics' questions, mm -hmm. but like Lockwood has been ghost touched. Mm -hmm. Is that a problem now? Yeah, I don't. This seems like a slowly evolving problem, like kind of like a snake bite or something. Like you're OK at first, but the longer it goes on, the worse you get, I guess. I guess I, I, I'm actually glad they cut this out of the show because I feel like it lessens how dangerous Ghost Touch is. Yeah, a little bit. Um, because then Lucy's just sort of describing the scene and everything. And after a bit, Lockwood comes back and finds her. Like his voice is saying, wake up. They want to take you to the hospital. And I'm like, was he still just sitting there beside her? Did he go and see people? What happened there? Yeah, she like, I underlined everything before that. She like has this moment where she just feels super guilty. And she's yeah. like zoned in on her own feelings at that point. But yeah, I, I don't know what's happening with her. If she's like fainted or what. Yeah, it's she weird. might just be like super in her own head. Yeah. And that's she's fine. But shocked. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But he doesn't seem sick. He no. doesn't seem. Yeah. He's not screaming. He's not like injured. He's not like, oh, no, somebody help me. He's just like trying to be in charge. Yeah. And then he has to leave because like Inspector Barnes is in the background of everything. Yeah. But we don't know who he is. So wh what is happening with his ghost touch? Right. It doesn't seem to have happened or something. I don't know. And it they do make it in the show like much more deadly, I guess, because like at one point Lockwood asks her like, yeah. did the ghost touch you? And she's like, of course not. I'm still alive. So it's like if you get touched, you're dead is how it seems in the show, which is easier to understand. Yeah. Anyways, there is a bit here where Lucy starts to tell Lockwood that this was all her fault. And he says, rubbish, it's my responsibility. Don't worry about it. And I do really like that, that he's taking, that he's, you know, a team leader who takes responsibility. Yeah, I mean, this is true. Yeah. It really, it's true in multiple ways. He didn't bring the chains. Like, it is his fault. Yeah. And she's just like taking on the guilt in a way that is not appropriate, but is kind of like typical especially for her trauma. Yeah. So then Lucy's at the hospital and 
that's all fine. Except she has this bit where she says, like, she wants to leave. And then the doctors protested a bit, but I was an agent and that gave me leverage. And I'm like, over doctors? You're a child? <laughs> and is the leverage like they understand that they need their army in the streets to go die? Yeah, right. <laughs> or is it, I have a sword, so all of you back away. Yeah, like, no, because she left hers in the house. Right, right, right. So, uh, that's, that's a little bad. That's bad. That's not good. The doctors are just like, yeah, well, she's probably going to be dead tomorrow. Doesn't really matter what we do. <laughs> yeah, I took this as like a society privilege thing of like, I'm just more important. I don't know. That's just how I read what she was saying. That's probably how Stroud meant it. But I just like more important because they need them out there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like it would be like if a cop went to the hospital and they were like, I have to go back out into the wild streets of London to keep everyone safe. Yeah, but police aren't generally 14 years old. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> and then Lucy goes home. Yeah. Back, back to, to Portland Row. And George and is there. Treated okay. wonderfully. <laughs> Before we get into the argument, George yeah. does say that Lockwood called him from the hospital where Barnes was waiting to take him away. When did Lockwood get to the hospital? Did they... Did they ride to get what? When did this happen? Yeah, there's an ambulance for boys and an ambulance for girls. Oh, uh, yes, so of th course. It's really not that big a deal, I guess. I just, I'm just confused. So, uh -huh. so yes, then George and Lucy kind of blow up at each other. Yeah, I think this is important for like everything that we've gotten about George. That for me, anyway, this like recalibrated how I felt about George a little bit mm -hmm. the first time that I read it. Because we're so, like, in Lucy's perspective, she doesn't like George. They don't get along with each other. And it just seems like he's being an asshole again to her. Um, but it comes out how Lockwood is hurt and George is just, like, been left behind and he's worried about Lockwood. And this all seems very, like, vulnerable to me on yeah. George's part. Yeah. When, when, he said, when he yells, like, well, you should have been. And just like you right. should have stopped him getting touched in the first place. Yeah. You see that he doesn't care about like making her feel bad or something like that. He is upset and worried. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that he handles it in a bad way, which I also kind of like. And then like typically masculine way where like I feel afraid and scared and therefore I'm angry and have every right to yell at a woman. I don't think of it that way. Like... I'm not I'm not saying that's not a thing. I think of this uh -huh. as them just being young. Yeah. And not Yeah, exactly. And not exactly. really knowing how to deal. Right. Or just letting their emotions all out. Because what I really like about this is they argue and they say some truly awful things to each other, but at the yeah. end of the chapter they apologize and they're good. That I think is huge. And it really makes a difference. Yeah. And to me that um that really feels sibling-ish to me because you can say some truly fucking awful shit to a sibling. But at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like you can say the t most terrible things to your, like if you have a good relationship with your sibling, obviously. You can mm -hmm. say the most vile things to them and then go get a meal together and you're fine. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. Yeah, the deep bonds of family kind of stuff. I think that's definitely the dynamic that's going on here. It It doesn't, like, I don't expect that. The first time that I read it, I didn't expect that dynamic because everything that we had gotten from George is like antagonistic mm -hmm. and petty and just like she just hates him. And 
So like this is very vulnerable and then they make up with each other at the end and you see that there's been like evolution in their relationship since she was hired on, which I think is also good. Yeah. Like it's there as read instead of like being spelled out moment to moment for us. Yeah. He also mentions again with my timeline curiousness that when Lockwood was in the hospital, he, well, I think when he was in the hospital, he almost like didn't get treatment because he was trying to find Lucy. But I'm like, he was just talking to Lucy and he sent her to the thing. And I'm just like, what is happening? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it. I don't know if it was like he came up with the idea of Ghost Touch after he had already written these other things and just didn't revise it or I don't know. It just feels disconnected. It's so weird. And I know that people say that like he was Ghost Touched in the show. Like people have reached out and told us about that. And how there's like a picture in the opening of like maybe a ghost touched chest or maybe it's Lockwood's chest and that there's like a deleted scene and stuff like that. But it does feel like this issue is like so weird here in the book that it was just easier to cut it out. It's just simpler to have the ghosts be like, if they touch you, you die. And that's just easier. Especially in those first couple episodes when they're trying to like set the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, exactly. the turn in George's anger here is really when uh, Lucy says, shut up, George, there isn't the time. This isn't the time. And then he's like, well, when is it going to be the time? When you and Lockwood are both dead, maybe? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. There's even, like, there's even a little deviation. You can tell, like, it's an argument between people who really care about each other, too, because there's, like, stockpiled ammunition of, like, Oh, here's something about you that pisses me off yep. that I've that we've never had a talk about. <laughs> yep. And he's like, you don't know anything about the visitors. You don't read anything I give you. You don't make notes on anything that you see. All you care about is like, you know, getting sources. And then she like snipes back, you know, that's how we make money. And you only care about books and you don't care about doing things. So there's like a lot of like, here's the shit about you that pisses me off. And it's not all about this moment. Yeah, there's a really sort of popular headcanon in the fans, and I think a lot adds to it in these, uh, this chapter and the upcoming chapters, that Lucy isn't great at reading, because, yeah. you know, she was sent to be an agent when she was eight, and, like, she can read, obviously. She she even says that later, like, she kind of talks about it, that books were never really her thing, they were never really around. This idea that She's not great at reading and George keeps giving her things to read, like complicated things to read. I, I think that just really adds to the dynamic there. And I like that kind of like it's not blatant or it's not really even in the book at all, but it puts a, a, a perspective on their relationship. For sure. And it also. Yeah, I like how that evolves for her too over over the book. Yeah. Yeah. But he is. He is coming at her with everything he's got. You can tell he's really upset. Oh, yeah. And at one point when he's yelling at her, (laughs) the skull jar is there. And like the skull starts making faces at George or like is mocking George's face. And I'm like, oh, skull's already (laughs) on Lucy's side. (laughs) He's got her back. He hates George so much. Yeah. I will say that by taking the ghost touch out, though, I do feel like you lose some of this in the show. Of this like vulnerability from George in this particular way. Yeah. And that my feelings for George are much more wrapped up in their reading of him as autistic 
mm-hmm. and like and his alarm at like finding out that anything bad happened to them because like he in the show he doesn't know he doesn't get a phone call from Lockwood it's just Lucy showing up in a hospital gown with no gear and he's like what is happening yeah uh and so like that's a totally different way to do this and I don't know that it is as effective as it is here in the book uh I think it's just different they took a different journey with Lucy and George's relationship in the show and I but I think it kind of got to the same place. Yeah. But I guess we do kind of lose that George feeling like he's waiting for, you know, his war buddies to get home. You, you know what right. I mean? Like, and who knows if yeah. they're going to. Yep. Yeah. Is Lockwood going to come back with both hands? Like, who even knows? Right? Yeah. Oh, and I did just love George's sarcastic, you know, you're fantastic. You just burned down our client's house. You're our best assistant yet. And Lucy's too right. I am the last one's dead. <laughs> <laughs> The bar is low, George. Uh, I like that she doesn't give in to her guilt there as much as she's beating herself up. She's like, I am good. I go out there oh, and kick ass. I don't think that's what that is. I think they're just in the argument. Yeah. You know, if she gave in to her guilt, she would lose the argument. She can't do that. <laughs> Not until later when she just hears everything that George said again. And she's like, he's right about me. Yeah, exactly. And if that's not a sibling yelling at you so that you can so that it can keep you awake later like that's very real to me yeah 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 teenage drama there's a uh, george that can happen anytime <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> anyways then we find out about annabelle yeah george george also i think this is like kind of a one-two puncher or again it was for me the first time that i read it where oh george is vulnerable he cares about other people oh george is very competent and is really good at a part of the job that has been hidden until now. Yeah. Um, and I also like that Stroud incorporates news articles into the book. I think this is really smart because it's kind of like blending similar media together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show does that too by having like news reports on television blended into the into the show right so it's like it really works when you use the same medium i think it wouldn't it doesn't work as well when they're like looking over newspapers and have to tell each other what it means in the show as this is like really effective for lucy reading this and george like interrupting her and all that stuff maybe that's why they sort of condensed a lot of uh animal ward's sort of life story in the show yeah yeah because you're right, if we had to just sit there listening to them read newspaper newspaper articles, that would be bad television. Yeah, or have like a bad Pelican Brief style montage of like books piling up and people rubbing their forehead and getting coffee and like, oh, they're reading, they're thinking, you know, like it's a little boring. What a callback. I'm just saying, like, there's things about that movie I that I have to say. I haven't seen it since the 90s and don't remember yeah. anything. I carry grudges for decades. I don't care. <laughs> so do I, just not about that movie. Anyways, <laughs> um, so it says they searched her house, but Lucy says they can't have looked very hard. And I just like that cops in every universe are crap at their job. <laughs> she probably ran away. Who even knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Although, I mean, she was a young, rich white woman. Well, not rich, but, you know, a young, pretty white woman. You'd think they would have put some effort in. Right. The problem was just getting started, though. That's true. Maybe they were, That's true. They, they were, were just like, like, oh, no. Everybody's dying left, right, and center. Probably just ghost touched in a well. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the worst. So then they're just sort of talking about, like, why Annabelle would come back now. And they make an interesting point about how a lot of furniture is probably made from iron and all these things. I mean, George, like, immediately nails it just on, like, supposition. He's like, yeah. an iron bed frame in the room might have been enough. Yes. Um, and, and Lucy's like, oh, yeah, there was a change. So George is super smart. Yeah. Which I think is part of the point of the whole chapter is just to recalibrate everything that you might think about George and mm -hmm. be like, oh, it's more complicated than it seemed. And then I think we get into Lucy apologizing and everything. Yeah, it's really, really good, though, because you like, again, you can feel their relationship has like depth to it and time has passed and it, it's all just like, that's, I don't know, that's really good writing from Stroud, I think. He's just showing us that. Yeah, and Lucy says, you know, you were right, we should have waited. And George says, well, I should have gone out to join you. So they both make, they both say things. And I wrote down, I wrote this down because I'm never going to remember to bring it up when we get to book three. But I've seen a lot of people compare, like, Lucy to Holly as George is to Lucy in this first book. And I don't agree with that at all because... Lucy is to Holly as George is to Lucy. Because like okay, I see what you're saying. Like Lucy came in to be the the new person here, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it disrupts George's relationship with Lockwood, whatever it was, and when they, when I it was just the two of them, either. that type of thing. Yeah. So I can see the similarities to a degree, but the fact that they can have this big argument and then apologize and admit where they were wrong right away, and that they have this really good relationship that allows them to do that, I I don't think it's that similar. No, I yeah, I'd, I agree. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the same. And then there's more things going on with Lucy and Holly that, but I don't want to get into it until we're yeah. there, obviously. Yeah, I do think there is stuff with George happening where he's like, I don't know that he has anxiety about his place in the company, but that he just slowly, the, the relationships evolve more around. Lucy and the, are not centered on him the way that they used to be. And I think that does make him upset. Um, I don't know if I get that feeling. Like maybe I'm doing George a dis disservice saying that. I don't know. But I always got the feeling that he's good. Like he knows he belongs there. He knows he's smart. He knows we don't know how long he's lived there with Lockwood, but it's probably at least a year. That's what the show says. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never gotten that feeling that he's worried about his position, either like in the company or like emotionally. I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, he just, um, it's not the same though, because he has a relationship with Lucy, like you're saying. Yeah. Too, you know, that there's something real there between them as well. So like, I don't, I don't think it's all like, the show really plays it up that whole angle of him like feeling left out but um, they do that when we get to book two right yeah right like i don't i don't think it's happening here as yeah. much 
And yeah, so I don't know what I'm trying to say. The he does apologize for losing his temper, which was important to me because um, I think that's a big problem. Like I said, with men yelling at women and feeling like if they feel scared, then that the go-to emotion is anger. Uh, right. Yeah. And it's you never apologize for it, but he does, and so I was like, "Oh, that's good, George. You should work on that more." Um, I don't know that we ever see George be angry again. Not like this. Yeah. And it's directly tied to Lockwood. Yeah, to them being in danger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It it like recalibrates how I read a lot of his snide comments and stuff that it's like all of that is like defensive. I won't show you how tender I am underneath all of this. I'm just going to everything's a joke. Which we talked about last time. Yeah. George. Yeah. Not not wanting to be like everyone else, but also being too teenage to be genuine. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's this bit where Lucy talks about having to, like, she has to go have a shower and get changed and everything. And then, and George makes breakfast. And I don't know why, but the description of it always makes me want breakfast. That's funny because, like, that part came up in the book and I I was, like, almost going to highlight it. And I was like, Caitlin will talk about this. I don't need to talk about it. (laughs) Yep. Wonderful. Uh, and then Lockwood rings the bell, and I'm just like, does nobody fucking have keys to this house? How do they get in and out? <laughs> it's very polite. Like, I don't want to interrupt anything that's happening in the house. I don't know. They're probably like, arguing. I should leave them to it, but maybe also <laughs> let me in. I've been ghost touched. Does he make a big deal out of it? I feel like he doesn't. No, um, he doesn't. Yeah, he's just like, yeah. Staring eyes, the, hollow cheekbones. The, yeah. I love the ending of this chapter. Glad to be home. Hey, what happened to my gourd? Yeah, after Lucy's like, he won't notice. Yeah. I just... I think they, they even call it like a fertility gourd, and I was like, I don't think that's a thing. I uh, genuinely, after I read that last line, I went back to try to find a bit about the gourd, and I only found a bit about her leaning on some wallpaper. I did not find a gourd. Oh, yeah. There's... When he apologizes, he's like, I broke that gourd, didn't I? And uh, and she's like, Lockwood won't even notice. Oh, he says, okay, I, I broke was looking that fer- in the wrong spot. I can never find things when I'm looking for them. He said, I broke that fertility gourd, didn't I? And that really bothered me because I was like, well, gourds are sacred because they contain the shape of the universe in the in the double chamber. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I know a lot about this. And it was like, that's not a fertility. I guess. I don't know. Like, it could be a thing, but it's, why would they care if they're after ghost artifacts? But anyway. Maybe he's just making a joke about the shape of it. Yeah, I don't and know. And the, the uh, Jonathan Stroud's editors made him made them change it. <laughs> to fertility. Actually, I really like that headcanon <laughs> a lot. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. So, I wrote something here about the chapter art at the beginning of chapter 10 um but i can no longer read it it makes no sense i don't know what i was going for and that is the first time this has happened with any of my notes in this book and that is a miracle (laughs) we got all the way to chapter 10 before you couldn't read your own handwriting yeah that's um yeah genuinely a miracle you have no sometimes i'm just write a word and i'm like i can see the g at the beginning i'll know what it is 
In Chapter 10, Inspector Barnes from DPRAC tells the team that they own $60,000 in four weeks. Am I right in remembering that it was 40000 in the show? Or am I wrong? I don't know. I know they cut the time in half. I swear it was uh, 40000 I could be wrong. I was like, I don't know how to write pounds when I was writing the... Oh, I said dollars, didn't I? <laughs> Fuck. I was like, I know that you can do it, but I don't know how. Ugh. So I just put 60000 I'm going to cut all of that out, and I'm going to read it oh, again. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're going to... We're going to... You, you said disappointed. You want to leave it? No, I don't care. <laughs> it's fine. We can leave it. It's I feel fine. responsible. That was what that sound was, was the, oh, I've ruined all of this. Oh, no. No, it's fine. Because I, I guess... don't know how to write pounds. Early in the chapter, Barnes hasn't shown up yet. They're, they're talking about, like, possible cases they could do. Like, what do we have, you know... In the in the I think they call it the black file or something like that. Um, the case book. Yeah, the case book. What what can we do to get some money? Even before they know they have money troubles, they're always like having to pay the bills anyway. Yes. And it's not good. Like they're the slim pickings. Yeah, the lady with the cat. Mm-hmm. She's probably hearing the cat again. Um, but then we start talking about Annabelle Ward again. And I wrote that we're we're starting to get into it here. You know, the mystery is presenting itself. Mm-hmm. And I I like that I like that setup of how it keeps kind of slowly coming back during this chapter. And you would think that, yeah, it would be over because in their minds, like the source is all gone and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think it's smart to remind us as the readers to be like, hey, this thing still exists and it's important. Because it's the focus of the book. And then just as Barnes is showing up, I wrote down that it kind of almost feels like, you know, when you get home earlier than your parents after school and they left you a list of chores to do. And then you hear their (laughs) keys in the door and you're like, oh, no, (laughs) I did nothing. That's a good description. I think that's exactly the emotion that Lockwood is feeling. Every day of my youth, (laughs) a feeling I know well. And then we get this like really detailed description of Barnes and it's all for nothing because I picture him as show Barnes. Yeah, uh, that's what that's why I was being quiet. I was trying to flip to that part because that's what I think. I don't know how I feel about this. I go back and forth. So that's how I feel about it is that I think that some part of me says that like this is bad writing and then another part of me is like, I really love this. Okay. Where Stroud like constructs these characters who we are not supposed to like in like the physicality of him. He's a, he's a small man wearing a dark, rather crumpled suit. So like he doesn't look good. His shoes were brown and scuffed. His pants were too long for him. This like is kind of an emasculating description. It's like he's a child in you know like his clothes are too big for him but then it later it says that he's a lived in 50 which i think is such a sick burn Uh, that like uh and all of this is like lucy's perspective too um but she just doesn't she doesn't see him as like anybody who's like he's not powerful he's not and that's nothing like barnes in the show he is yeah he's like a real potent force and this guy does not project like potency and power. Um, instead, he seems like 
because he's not potent and powerful, like that's why he's a government official and like, you know, lords it over people kind of. Yeah, I've always figured that Barnes is what Kips is destined to be. Right. Because yeah. we from when like Barnes, I was going to bring this up later. Uh, Barnes has his interaction with Skull. So we can deduce from that that when he was younger, he had talent and probably a good bit of it. Mm hmm. And so I figure that he's just aged out of the system and now he's just here. Yeah, this he, is what you know, he does. Now this is what he does. And instead of being part of the adventure, he's enforcing rules on the adventure. Right. And that's got to be shitty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's what the whole system values, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you just find the source, contain the source. And like all the rules are just set up to reinforce that. And, and he's just, he's still a tool of that whole system it's just that i don't know like i think what the show does is what in my mind is like quote-unquote good writing that you that your antagonists be potent that they like you respect them and and be scared of them and then they they get the w's and the and the protagonists get the l's but that's not how stroud does things at all like he likes He's ridiculous um, as a just as a person. And then the whole thing with Skull makes him look like a real idiot. And the kids like laugh at him. Yeah. Even though he delivers this like dire bill to them when he leaves, they're like, ha what a dope. <laughs> I don't I like that, though. Like, I don't know. The book is like laughing at adults, laughing at authority figures. It's cool. Yeah. I, yes. Um, I was. I really like the line, as if all light and joy had been surgically removed from his person under local anesthesia. It's it's savage, man. It's like, (laughs) it's like went right for his jugular. I I don't know how much more you could describe a person to be like, you can't have respect for him. Yep. Um, He does describe what he first sees. I think it's the skull jar or something. He describes it as more foreign mumbo jumbo. Like there's more of that casual right i like it from barnes because like again he is part of the system yeah and and so that all makes sense to me that he would be like well we the english are like we know what's up and we like our way of doing things is the way that that all makes sense to me yes um and it is interesting because like like you said they make him ridiculous and just Lucy is just savage about him and then he is angry and he's putting down these rules Mm -hmm. and you have four weeks to pay 60,000 pounds so like I mean after eviscerating him Stroud does give him authority oh yeah yeah and this is the central problem of the book in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. is is like this it threatens the mortality of the agency um they can't if they can't pay this bill then it's over so it's a big problem i also really like this because they they show this really sort of personally or one-on-one with lucy in the show but here it's kind of with the agency and all three of them like if the agency gets shut down there's they're probably still the three of them going to be in the house and they're probably what going to have to join the night watch and then die on the night watch Mm -hmm. like he's not helping them he's not He's not protecting children. No, no. If if anything, he's protecting the clients, the paying clients. Right. And that just feels icky. Yeah, it's gross. 
he he really doesn't respect them either. Like he tells them like you're nothing but three kids playing at grown up games. And like he even equates like, like no all shit, the artifacts. The whole world is set up that way. Right. But he like lumps in everything in that everything about their house and like yeah. he's like you know, everything in the house is a testament to this the rubbish on the walls like everything it's all fiddle faddle like this is ridiculous it's all a game to you um so he just has no respect for them at all he just wants them gone and again i feel like if any if everything had gone his way here and they had ended up like just on the night watch trying to make ends meet and then died a couple weeks later he would have blamed them when he found their dead bodies you know mhm mhm He's like, oh, yeah, I couldn't have gone any other way. Yeah, they were exactly. Three idiots. Yeah. God, I hate the system. Yeah. He's convinced by it, I feel like. And I feel like this is all like, I do feel like this is Stroud saying something about like who the system attracts, what kind of person it produces, you know, because he's been through it since he was a kid, like you said. Mm -hmm. And and like Kips, we'll see later, is is a lot like this, like he's on the same track. And this is why the system is the way that it is, because these are the people who run it. Which is interesting to think about because it's like it's Fitz and Rouncewell who set up this system. Mm -hmm. And like they must have had a hand in the creation of DPRAC. Oh, for sure. I would think. And it's filled with their people. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it, like Kips, that was probably his original destiny, like I said, to fast track to yeah. the Barnes role. Right. Yeah. It's got to get you inside to have fits on your resume. Yeah. Obviously, Lockwood stops that from happening to him. But <laughs> I mean, you know, to like reference another really old movie, it's a lot like the EPA guy in Ghostbusters, I think. Like, yes, that that guy's a real tool as well and is like made to look really ridiculous and like works for the government and all of this kind of stuff. Yes, but that wasn't like that government agency wasn't like the ghostbusters didn't set him up you know this is right, like right, right. Yeah. if the ghostbusters set up that epa guy to go out and shut down all the other ghostbusters so yeah. it just it says something about fitz and rotwell for sure yeah and and how they want the world to run yeah i think that stroud's world building is so strong that you can make this conclusion like naturally yeah you don't have to be told it yeah exactly exactly the chapter ends with Lucy and George kind of having a moment talking about how they're going to lose some jobs and already probably have lost some and already have lost some jobs. And I just like that after the big yelling argument, they have a moment without Lockwood together where they're they're sort of talking about things behind Lockwood's back. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. It Yeah, it, it serves to reinforce how their relationship yeah. survived the argument and stuff, too. And then chapter 11, Lucy is attacked by Annabelle's ghost and the trio seal her source, the locket Lucy took. And the chapter right here is a ghost lamp. Yeah. Looks very different from the show. Very different from the show. I'm glad they didn't go that traditional, way. Traditional. Yeah. Traditional like Victorian lamp design in my mind. And yeah, Lucy wakes up in the middle of the night and along with being stressed and anxious about everything and sore she's eventually realizes she is too cold yeah yeah but she stresses about stuff for like almost two pages first i think this is really good how this feels exactly how it is to like have a sleepless night yep and to and later to like be afraid of the dark i think all of this is like really 
evocative. It's well written. It puts us back in with Lucy in a really intimate way too. Like it puts us deep in her head again, yes. which we haven't been for the past few chapters. This is definitely her going back to it's all my fault. I made the wrong decision, just like I did at the mill. And now everything that happens is going bad because of me. Right. Poor Lucy. Like ease up, girl. It's okay. Um, but then she's quickly booted out of her own anxieties by imminent danger. Yeah, the and the whole ghost lamp thing is kind of important for her like she senses the cold, but she's like, but where's the ghost? And the lamp, the way that it operates turning on and off mm -hmm. is what allows her to see where it is and then to get away from it as it's like coming over to the bed. It's also like this lying in bed in the middle of the night, realizing there's something else in the room with you, but not knowing where. And so then being too afraid to move in case you make the wrong choice. Mm. Like, that is my worst fear. Like, or not my worst fear, but like, that is just so real to me. Like, I feel like I've been in that moment, even though there wasn't a ghost in my room. You know, you've just been there and been like, mm-hmm, I don't, that's weird. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. You know? That's what I, that's, yeah, when you're afraid, if you're afraid of the dark, like, this is how it feels, I think. That's why I say it's so evocative. Yeah, this, th this is why I don't watch scary movies anymore, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't like that feeling at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the scene, yeah, from Poltergeist with the kid looking at the clown sitting I on... I have never seen Poltergeist, and we are never oh, saying so... that word ever again on this show. It's so bad. <laughs> that movie, like, really messed me up. I saw it when I was a kid, and yeah, he has, like, a toy clown. It's the worst. No, I it's just said, don't room. say it. It's... it's awful. I hate clowns. <laughs> God, they're the worst. Ugh. Yeah, it's very much like this scene. Ugh. I've felt like this a thousand times when I was a kid yeah. i can't i don't know what it is about like scary movies they just get in my head and they don't leave for a day so i don't watch them yeah ever sometimes i look up wikipedia summaries if i thought they looked like a good movie they still mess me up it's one of the best things about being married to my wife is that she is not scared of movies and so i'll watch a scary movie with her and i'll be shivering and be <laughs> like oh my god and she'll just be laughing at the same thing and i'm like yeah it's okay I have her. She'll keep me safe. <laughs> so <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, so she does kind of like slowly and then in bursts of speed, get herself out of the room and she admonishes herself for leaving all of her equipment downstairs. And I only mm -hmm. bring that up because later she's going to get angry at Lockwood for doing the same thing. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> this was more fuel for the guilt fire. Really? And then yeah. she's like, I expect you to have your shit together. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean it's downstairs? It's like Lucy, yours is too, you idiot. <laughs> um, and so then she runs downstairs, screaming their names, and tries Lockwood's door, and his bedroom door is locked? And I'm mm. like, who does that? The only explanation I could think of is that George has definitely burst into his room at six in mm -hmm. the morning, being like, I figured it out. Yep. <laughs> Or just being like, yeah, look at this article and like not yeah. even seeing that he's asleep and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Because I feel like that's a big fire hazard and they are known for burning down buildings. So why would you want to lock yourself in a room? <laughs> They're known for burning down. <laughs> Harsh. Well, I mean, it's on the news. <laughs> but then, yeah. Yeah, she's like genuinely kind of angry at, at uh, Lockwood for not having his rapier and just having this iron 
like baby thing, which is so sad. I think the, yeah, I think a lot of this is like, is the classic Stroud, like shifting of tone where we had like this really evocative, scary scene of her upstairs. And now it's all like pretty funny. Yeah. We're going to fight ghosts with a baby mobile. We're not ready for anything. The doors are locked. George is like ready in two seconds with like kitted out like Rambo for ghosts. You know, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I do like I like that George, not George, Lockwood believes Lucy right away. Mm hmm. Which either says that he is, you know, he's he finds Lucy to be a very reliable, trustworthy person or he has a lot of shady shit in this house. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you that a ghost is here. Yeah, sure. We keep that door locked up. Yeah. <laughs> Downstairs. Yeah. Um, we have the best moment when George is like, uh, I might have something. Hold on. I'm not sure. <laughs> Goes back into his room and comes out with an arsenal. I yeah, love that yeah. so much. Obviously, I'm jumping ahead here, but obviously that's my best joke. It is. Oh, yeah. My favorite. It is really good. Yeah. There is no other option. <laughs> It's impossible for me to picture it with his pants on either. Cause of yeah, the show. of course, of course <laughs> there's a bad joke right before that mm-hmm. where they're like, he's a heavy sleeper in more ways than one. And I'm like, oh, oh don't do that. That's terrible. Lockwood's constantly doing that. Yeah. George really plays it down. He's like, it's, it's uh, a few little bits and pieces I keep on my bedside. Always good to be prepared. You can borrow a salt bomb if you want. Uh, <laughs> is good i have like a too tall stack of books beside my bed like there's like 10 of them i'm not reading any of those they're just there that's what i don't have bombs is what i'm saying i don't (laughs) but somehow it's still a fire hazard yeah yeah oh my whole the amount of books in my (laughs) it's not good (laughs) the amount of candles and books that i have it's not good oh yeah you shouldn't do that i live in fear but i don't change it You'd be like, I put the candles on top of the books. Technically, I put the candles on top of my fireplace. Oh, good. It's electric, though, so it's fine. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, George is a little less believing of Lucy. Not, not less believing, but like, where did this come from? Where did you get a source? And I'm like, you keep sources in the basement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think later it even says that there's some around the house. When the when the break in happens, that they're they're just like in silver glass cases around the house with all the other. Yeah, well, at the very least, skull is. Yeah, exactly. So like there is shit everywhere. Yeah. And let's not forget that there's a mysterious locked room. What the fuck's in there? Right. Like who even knows? Yeah. It's not any of these things, but like it's plausible. I mean, there's other things than what you know in there. Because you haven't read yeah, the yeah. books. I just mean that, like, it, this is Lucy's fault, but, yeah. like, it could not be Lucy's yeah, exactly. fault. Like, it's, and also, it's like, possible. Lockwood knows the stuff that his parents brought home, you know? Like, Lockwood, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, Lockwood does believe her, so that's fine. But George is, it seems funny to him to be like, where could you have possibly gotten a source? But anyways, mm. yeah, she did steal it. So, I guess, I guess George's suspicions were kind of right. <laughs> and it's... I think that you're also coming around as the as the reader, like if you're aiming this at like 10 to 13 year olds, this is like trying to get you, OK, you understand what a source is. 
and you know that she took the locket and this is to get you to the moment where you're like, oh my God, I know what it is. Kind of the same moment that it happens for Lucy. Yeah, that's fair. So George is like putting pressure on the narrative in that direction. Because I don't even think Lucy understands what it is until they're and, talking about yeah, it. Yeah, until they're talking about it. And she's like, oh no. Right. No, she's like, yeah, actually, this is my fault. My note on that, I just, at the end of the chapter, just wrote down, oops. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. And this is another, like, you know, teenage behavior. This is one of the things that I really like about them as characters in the story is they're allowed to do things like this. Yes. Oh, and also how she ends the chapter by just saying, you know, I was going to mention it to you that right. I yeah. stole her necklace. But on Lucy's side here, she went to the hospital. There's 60,000 pounds in debt. I... Yeah, a lot happened. Yeah. It, and it also has like in the inner rumpled nighty, her bandaged, disheveled state. She <laughs> smiled as prettily as she could to be like, oops. Yeah. 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 It's good. And we go to chapter 12 mm-hmm. where Lucy connects to Annabelle through the locket. And Lockwood realizes that solving the murder could also solve their problems. What? That's a well-written summary there. There you go. Mm, well done. The chapter art is of the necklace in the in the like silver glass case necklace. In the other necklace that they put yeah. it in. <laughs> the necklace, the incepted necklace. I I do like the the art of it here though, because it is something that I have trouble imagining. So yeah. it was nice to see it here. Yeah, it makes sense. And a, and a teapot. Yes, of course. But I, I can't imagine a teapot, funnily enough. That's easy. Yeah, I have yeah. a million of them. And now I guess, uh, well, I don't think we're yelling at Lucy again, but we're certainly not happy with Lucy here at the beginning of this chapter. Yeah, yeah. They're like, you're right to feel guilty, actually. How Poor dare Lucy. you do something <laughs> against the rules? That's not our thing. Yeah, I, I do think he's a bit... Lockwood can really be harsh sometimes. He like really gets off into like into like an argument and just be like, and another thing uh, when he is like mad at Lucy about doing her job in a way that I feel like is unfair. Well, yes, but they're all very young here. So, yeah. Yeah. Because like if he hadn't, it all goes back to the chains for me and like his responsibility and then he's like you kept secrets from me and it's like dude i had a long night yeah yeah like this is i'm not is this she just forgot is this the following night i guess like the night after they were at yeah so it's barely been 24 hours yeah she did she wasn't that wasn't one of the things she was thinking about like oh and i can't bring myself to tell george and lockwood she just forgot yeah. She didn't remember that she had it. So, I mean, it's a little careless, but whatever. He's like coming down on her too hard, I think. But I, I do also think that he's probably very stressed about losing his home, potentially, you know, or his business, you know. Yeah, it's not about her. Yeah, it's, I think everyone's a little stressed out. And also they yeah. were just woken up in the middle of the night. So who knows that he's gotten a full night's sleep yet? I don't think so. Yeah, I think the dialogue also serves to like, again were aimed at this younger audience mm-hmm. and there's like the moment where like Lockwood kind of explains to her she's like well the source was destroyed because it was her body 
And then he's like, it only seemed that way. Like the, you covered her body with the silver net and that covered the necklace too. Yeah. And so that's how this can be a source. Like it was the author is not tricking you. We just made a bad assumption. And so like, I think that that would kind of blow a kid's mind a little bit and be like, Oh yeah, I see. Um, so like you're following the rules of the world building, but you're like nesting surprises in there for the reader down the line. Right. In ways that are satisfying. And it's written well, because like even reading it as an adult, I didn't feel like I was having unnecessary information explained to me. I just, it just felt like an argument they were having. Exactly. Yeah. It's in character. It makes sense for them. And it like, it explains it to the reader. Like, I think all of this is like really well done. Yeah. Um, but then <laughs> Plonkwood's tirade gets interrupted and he, he can't quite find his way back. But he is upset that his tea goes cold, which is fair. <laughs> uh, oh, and then we start off with a news story about them. I don't have any notes on the next couple of pages. But, um, oh, I, I do have a note here about because we do get a little bit more about what sources are and like how they work. Mm. It says, like, what I mean is the source is whatever the visitor is most attached to, isn't it? It's what it holds most dear. And so they're like, it should have been the bones, but like, no, it's this locket. So why is it this locket? Like this, the fact that it's a locket really matters because you would think that you would be upset about your body being hurt, you know, while you're being murdered. But it's like the emotional focus is on this locket for whatever reason. That is such an interesting thing to say that so often it is their bodies that hold them. I'm sorry, I'm just coming to this realization now because most people don't really think about their body. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not like it's just you. You don't think of it as... I don't even know what I'm trying right. to say here, but like, I no, I agree. A lot yeah. of people don't value it the same way we value, a, you know, like a pretty necklace or that someone gave us, you know, you know what I mean? You don't think about it. You don't dwell on it. Well, yeah, you don't see yourself in the mirror and then be like, oh, remember that time the way that you do when you like look at a picture. Yes, that's or what a, I mean. Obviously, yeah. body image and that sort of thing is a different right. matter. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense to me that people in the moment when they die would be like upset about their body and emotionally invested in it. Having to see it from the outside for the first time. <laughs> or be, yeah, or being like stabbed or something. Yeah. That, you know, like, yeah, I guess. I just, but it's like, interesting. Yeah. So, and I think it's also important here that they focus on like, it's their like emotional attachment, that emotions are like really important the sources so this is like really telling us something about the world and like how the ghosts work and stuff so uh it's it's pretty important and it's you know it's here in the dialogue and they're kind of sketching out like why they're trying to figure out just like we are like why is it this way with this ghost like they're being detectives here Mm -hmm. in an important way uh and then lucy asks if she can get the necklace out right because she wants to connect Lockwood says, yes, I enjoy that she asked his permission, which is obviously very different than anything she did with the necklace in the show. Um, yeah. And she notices that there is an inscription. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know where I put my note about that, but I think it's like the way more easier to have inscriptions on a necklace. I talked about this mm-hmm. in the show than on the ring. You called it a locket just more room. a moment ago. Uh, I Technically, I don't think we know that yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he... 
George steps on it in the previous chapter, but they didn't really like look closely at it. It's just yes. a because a like necklace. they figure out that it opens much later on, and that's when they find the other inscription. Right. Yeah. But it yeah it has all this stuff on the the outside of it, mm-hmm. and that just makes sense to me because there's like enough room to have a few words, and on a I don't know on a ring there's just not much space. Yes. No, I agree. Although I mean they made it work in the show, but yes. Yeah. They they cut out this inscription entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I did uh, briefly want to just say that Lucy has that line where she says, um, besides you wear these things so you can have your loved one's message next to your heart, which is just an interesting thing to say considering the sheer number of necklaces that Lockwood gives her in this series. <laughs> yeah, I thought. I, thought I mean, that it's was only two, but still. Yeah, I talked about that in the show too. Yeah. That I think that's why they made it not a necklace. Oh, well. yeah. Yeah, because with the smooshing the books together, that's fair. Yeah. it. There is a moment here that I think is kind of important for this being a detective story where, mm-hmm. uh, what is it? it? This is just narrated. Nobody's saying this, so it's Lucy thinking it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, with the body turned to ashes, this necklace was all that remained of Annabelle Ward, mm-hmm. of her life and death, of her whole unknown story. And we were going to toss it in the fires, too. It didn't seem right to me. Yeah. And so, like, this is the pursuit of justice for its own sake. Like, there's no profit in it. And this is, like, the heroic character of a detective. Like, they go after justice even though there's nothing really in it for them. Mm -hmm. No one's paid them to do this. Like, Lucy feels like she needs to do this because it's the right thing. And then as soon as... Lockwood sort of catches on that it's a good mystery they could solve. Like he, the line is, you know, his eyes were shining. He'd sat up suddenly. The gloom that had enveloped him all morning had suddenly disappeared like white clouds on wind. I love this about the book because with, by having multiple characters, we can have one character who's in it for the heroism Mm -hmm. and another character who's like, we can spin this shit into gold. Yeah. Like, we can make we can make money off this. And for Lucy, that's not the point. But Lockwood's like, we got to save our asses. Not that she's not in on that deal, but like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just not what occurred to her. Yes, they they this might surprise everyone, but they make a good team. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that, that he, by splitting up by not having just one detective, which is the typical detective story, mm-hmm. you like can do this dynamic. That is really, really cool. Um, and then in a in you know, something that the book did very differently than the show, Lockwood kinda eggs her on into trying to connect with the necklace. Yeah. I think that's important too because it it makes him parallel to Barnes later in a way that I think is interesting. When they bring her in for the Hugo Blake thing, mm-hmm. we won't really get there this time, but uh I don't know. Like, to me, I think that that's interesting to that Lockwood is like tied to Barnes in some narrative parallel way. But in the show, they don't do that. It's all about Lucy wanting to connect to uh, Annabelle or yeah. needing to. Both are good in different yeah. ways. I yeah, think. in different ways. Yeah. yeah. Um. So then, yeah, we get Lucy connecting with Annabelle through the necklace and it is like much deeper than we saw her connect with the objects during the interview cuz she she doesn't say she feels things or something she says i was sick with jealousy and rage yeah 
talking about herself as though she is Annabelle. It's so well written too that that's the part I think I have it down here too. A great bulb of happiness spread out to fill my world. Yeah, and all of that stuff. And yeah, and it it like she lives through this toxic relationship at the same time, and it's all very powerful. But then at the end, she screams and is jolted out of it. And like Lockwood is holding her up in the chair, and then George rushes in and like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, he wasn't a part of the experiment yeah which i was like oh right they didn't do that they did in the i'm trying to see what kicked her out of it i think it was hearing herself scream oh okay okay that's that that, Mm. that's what i think that's what it sounds like because she hears a desperate shriek of pain and then a shriek she realizes was her own yeah she broke her own spell i like that lockwood apologizes and that he seems genuinely to be upset and care about her well-being and not immediately go like but could you do it again like he doesn't do anything like that um no he it says you know his face was white i didn't think it was going to be i don't think he thought it was going to be that lucy was going to go that deep you know he thought she would just get some impressions like she did previously exactly yeah yeah i think this is important too because it's like I'm I'm starting to realize like as we're like slowly reading this book and and being so like thoughtful about it mm-hmm. that like I didn't understand in the show and in the book I guess too when George is telling her like being a listener is dangerous and every time he says that I'm like that's stupid like why is it dangerous why is it more dangerous than being able to see or whatever mm-hmm. but I think it's because if you really listen to someone then you like have empathy for them and you like put yourself in their place and that is like that can eat you up in the way that it does here yeah i feel like the books never go that deep into it but i i mean in a joking way like last time george talked about a listener who walked off a building and died or something like that walked into the dems and drowned oh right right but so but he was it was presented in a jokey way but like Mm -hmm. It it must be, there must be situations where listeners can get pulled into what happened to a ghost while they are still in a haunted building, right? Yeah. Like well, experiencing I mean, that, the ghost's death. What happened here? There. She's, yeah. she's not even in the place where it happened and she's like so strongly drawn in. Yeah, exactly. Because of her strong talent. So that's got to be dangerous. Yeah. And just in general, reliving people being murdered, or in some cases, you might be reliving being the murderer. Yeah, exactly. The way that she really doesn't like that watch. Yeah. From the interview, because for that reason, she's like, oh, this is vile. Yeah, because I I just think that shift in perspective, it could change you. Yeah, if you if you're holding that watch and you are the killer, like you're taking that into yourself in a way. Yeah. If if Stroud wrote these characters as adults, I'm sure he would take Lucy to a real dark place with some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool it's a cool idea. I think it is there for you to like pick it up. It's just not super explicit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the I think the really important narrative piece of information that we get here from this whole vision is that Lucy feels sure that the man who gave her this necklace, he's the one who killed her too. Yep. Um, and that's why this is the the focus, the source, because it's like directly tied to the murderer and her. Mm-hmm. 
Good thing we only have one more chapter. Can you imagine if we were doing the whole part? I know. <laughs> I keep looking at the time and like, ugh. Wow. All right. Chapter 13. The trio go to the library and learn about An Annabelle's ex-boyfriend, Hugo, but are interrupted by Quill Kips, everyone's favorite. The chapter art in this one is a unicorn on a, um, like a shield. shield? Yeah, like a... Oh, I, Laurels. Yeah. Um, and I'm fairly certain, I could be wrong, it is the logo, the Fitz logo. Yeah. The Fitz unicorn. Um, which is hilarious because we have a moment with some Rotwell agents in this one. Oh, I guess <laughs> I guess Kips is from Fitz. I don't think of yeah. him that way. That's what it is. I think that's what it is. I for yeah, I don't okay, I got there. It's not weird anymore. <laughs> but I, I think was I the... was writing down my notes on this and I'm like, we only hear about Rotwell agents in this one. Where does Kit where 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 does why Fitz? Why isn't it roasted chestnuts? Yeah. Uh the thing about this picture that like really leapt out to me was that the unicorn is holding a lamp. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a lantern. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's interesting because like the name Lucifer, um, like means the person who carries light mm -hmm. like that. That's what a, like a Lucifer was a, a job you could have in medieval times. And then that, that job just got associated with Satan. Um, interesting. And so, I don't know, like when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, it's a, it's a Luciferian unicorn. Like, I don't know, like it's kind of right there if you want to see it that way. That's interesting with Lucy being Lucy. Oh, true. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I don't know if that has, you know, like Lucent and Light and that. I wonder if that has anything to do with the name Lucy. Anyway. It must. How much longer can this podcast be? Uh <laughs> So we're going to go to the library, I think. That's right. I don't have any notes the first couple pages. Yeah, they get on the train. They're heading for the archives and just sort of talking about their plan. Solve the mystery. Get attention. Get more jobs. So save the agency. Right. That's my first do note, too. I do love the moment, not just because it's kind of funny, but I do love the moment where they see Rotwell agents handing out free food. It's really good. It's so interesting. And like, oh, the kid is no more than 10, which means they have <sighs> these young children are doing advertising for them. Yes. This is like a PR stunt. Yeah. I think it's interesting how Lockwood is like really upset about this, but he's also like in the middle of his own PR stunt for his, like, I know that there's exploitation happening here. He's not mad about that, by the way. He doesn't no, he care just, that they're... He doesn't want to be doing advertising for them. Right. He just doesn't want to help a competitor. That's what, that's what this is about. But it is funny to me that, like, you know, they have the resources to do a PR stunt like this, where, like, innocent children give you this thing to remind you that we are keeping you safe, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he wants to, like, construct this whole kind of viral story campaign around the murder to save... The agency. I don't know. There are similar things in my mind. Mm. He's not. I think that's part of why he's so mad is because he's like, oh, that's a good idea. But I just don't oh, have the resources to do it. Interesting. Okay. I guess I like to give them a bit more. Like, I don't like to think of Lockwood as being too similar to Fitz and Rotwell, but you're not wrong. 
George does it anyway, by the way, because he doesn't give a shit about the rules. Oh, yeah, of course. He's just like free food. Have you ever eaten a roasted chestnut? They have the weirdest texture. Yeah, they're okay. I like the flavor is fine. But when I bite into a nut, I don't expect it to be cakey. It's so weird. Messes with my brain. Um, I love when they when they get to the archives and George is just in charge. He's like, okay, we're going to go here. You're going to be quiet because the librarians are picky. You're going to look at this. You're going to look at this. I'm going to look at this. And then we're going to do it. And they're like, okay, <laughs> yes, sir. And the whole time that he does that, he has chestnut stains all over his face, by the way. Yeah. It, it does say that. I love George. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love them all, but this is just a good scene. It's very George. Yeah, they're a little overwhelmed. George is in his element. And this somewhere in here is where Lucy talks about how books and reading were never a big part of her life. How could it be? I mean, she went there when she was eight. Yeah. Yeah. She says that she has memorized the Fitz manual for ghost hunters, but that's, and like she took exams, but that's about it. I mean, that's just survival. Yeah. Yeah. It's like child soldiers. It's like, I read the manual on how to break down my gun. Like, of course you did. (laughs) Like, you need to do that. Um. I just really like the stuff that they find in here that's like more world building about like the early days of the problem. That's the stuff that Lucy finds. She doesn't find like any of the good stuff for the case, but she finds like the good stuff for the world building, which is what I care about more anyway. So where it talks about like the early days where ghost lights are being erected and right, that yes. they wanted graveyards to be bulldozed and so salt everywhere. And then they're like, that's too expensive. We'll just put fences around everything. I'm like, oh, we'll just make nightmare plantations throughout the city. I see. It's, it's too so, expensive. Because of who we know, like we know that Fairfax Iron turns out to be like the bad guy in this book. People aren't expecting us to be spoiler free, right? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so it's interesting. It's just an interesting point that they were like, no, we can't salt and bulldoze. We're going to put up iron everywhere. Mm hmm. Yeah, like that was a policy decision influenced by a murderer, perhaps. Yeah. Like we just see his influence kind of everywhere without knowing it. And they were even talking about, yeah, the the prevalence of iron furniture earlier and how it makes sense to have an iron bed frame. And that's a really good point that it's not just like cool world building for me, that it is like the influence of the antagonist all throughout the book. You just don't even know it explicitly like i'm not necessarily saying that that's what stroud was thinking yeah because he he maybe not or maybe he wrote these things and then at the end was like oh let's make him an iron mogul because i've been talking about iron all this time right no i think you're totally right though it is there yeah that's true even like forgetting the iron chains was what started everything off there's been so much iron mm-hmm. so then we meet kipps will kipps and his team and I love that he, he walks in and says, you know, hello, Tony. And then Lucy is just like, Tony, what? <laughs> Are these like the best friends ever? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. The other, the other it's end the of the opposite. scale. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, the way that Kipps is described is just like Barnes to me. Yeah. It's he's very slightly built, almost bird like in his delicacy. Uh, he probably weighed less than I did. Like, these are all, this is not, he's not heroic in any way. He's not powerful. He's not, he has a small upturned nose, a freckled face, auburn hair. It's like, all of this is 
a slam on him. So, yeah, and I did not, the, my first time reading this, I did not put together that Kips was like an adult man. Yeah. Who has a grudge yeah. against this 16 year old boy. Which is even more pathetic. Yeah, yeah. it's so pathetic. And, and that they like win here so bad. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> he does not come off as like a potent antagonist. This is just a huge W for them. But, and, yeah. And so like all of my, everything I've been taught about writing is like, that's not how you do it. But this is very like cathartic and satisfying. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're a kid who's like, you're a bookish kid who gets, you probably get bullied. You probably feel like an outsider. This probably feels good to read. And it feels like, good fuck to that read. Guy. And yeah, fuck that guy. But you also know that like Fitz isn't in, like Kips isn't in danger of losing his job at Fitz. He's not, right. you know, Fitz isn't in danger of going under. So in a way, he still does win at the end of this argument, but just not, yeah. not in a, not in, not in the um, competition to be cool, mm -hmm. which to a teenager is much more important than paying the bills. <laughs> yeah, he's on the right team. He's on the winning team, but he's not like a star player or anything like that. Yeah. Um, also, he calls Lucy sweetheart, which. Ugh. Yeah, always bad. Also, all these things that they talk about Kips and his team messing up, like the like somebody threw out the wrong bag, so they just threw out a source, I think. <laughs> like all these wild things. Um, but it just goes to show that everybody's kind of a mess. Like whether True. you're Fitz Rotwell or you're an independent agency, everyone's fucking up. Deeprac just doesn't like the independents. Probably because they're not getting paid by them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, they threw out an arm bone yeah. incorrectly and it, yeah, it attacked someone. Um, but it probably has something to do with, with Kips's poor leadership as well, I would think. Like it's, he has a high mortality rate around him in a way that is like, it's not just Fitz fucking up, it's like him. But he is pretty well known at Fitz, like he's, isn't he? He's high up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. To me, it just it just says that the whole ghost hunting business is messed. Yep. And no one's doing anything about it. And then they have a sword fight in the library, which I can't imagine. Like, can you picture yourself a couple tables away, just reading an old newspaper? And not only do two kids start sword fighting, but they were allowed to bring swords in. Maybe this is normal. Right. Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, what's weirder is that after that happens is when they do their research, they <laughs> flip, they flip that around in the show because it makes way more sense to like, we had a sword fight and now we're leaving Yeah, because like you're going to get kicked out or something. Maybe agents don't. I guess. Could you, it's gotta be the worst job if you're a librarian and be like, oh, again, the 14 year olds are sword fighting on the fourth floor it's got to be a weird world where teenagers are held in such needful jobs where they get to have power over adults yeah it's probably also it's probably also why kips and barnes are so petty because like if you grew up with all that power yeah. then you like lose your talent and you're in like an authority you know kind of job 
you would just be super petty all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And not like you lost your power in society and you also lost your like psychical, mystical power. You know, right. you used to have fantasy powers and now you're just an adult. Yeah. yeah like yeah, yeah. If, if that's not a great metaphor <laughs> for leaving behind childhood, yeah. I don't know what is. It makes a lot of sense if you think about it in that way. Yeah. And then there's all these kids that still have both that society power and that mystical power who now you're technically in charge of, but you're jealous of them, but also you hate them. Like, yeah, they make sense as characters. Yeah. Anyways, they do their research. It's probably Hugo Blake. So we know it's definitely not Hugo Blake. Right. Yeah. So this is the introduction of a red herring suspect, mm -hmm. classic detective novel move. I think it's a really good version of that um, because the thing about a red herring suspect is they need to be plausible. Like the detective needs to not be an idiot to assume that this is the person. Right. And so we have like a really good reason to think this because we know that the locket was given to her by someone that she was in love with. This was her boyfriend. The police suspected him at the time. So like all the pieces fit. I think this is a perfect red herring for like a 10 to 13 year old detective story and i bought it when i was listening to the story originally too i was like yeah sounds like the guy oh i don't think i ever did i think i thought oh this is obviously the red herring right yeah 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 i should say that like i as a reader am the like the cheapest of dates like whatever <laughs> you tell me i'm like uh-huh 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 like i just believe you i am so. usually like that also but i don't think i was with you Blake. I, I'm definitely one of those people who like, like someone else will review a book and say, oh, I saw that coming a mile off. And I'm like, how? That was so surprising. I was surprised. Yeah, because I want to be yeah. surprised. I don't want to. I don't want to figure it out. Yeah, like, exactly. That's not fun. But um, I don't know. You know, like I was like, obviously not him. He's he looks too good for it. Yeah, it's too early in the story to yeah. get the real guy. But this all works. I think it's good. And that is where we are going to pause for today. You're welcome for not doing the whole thing. I know, right? It just keeps going and going. Um, what was your best joke? I already went over mine. George and his arsenal. Yeah. So mine is the description that Lucy does of Kips and his team leaving uh, is just like a wildly sick burn. <laughs> it says, he spun around. His lackeys did too. Like a small, poorly trained dance ensemble, they flounced away in unison towards the elevator. And it's just like after his fly was unzipped, yeah. after he lost his sword and had to climb on the table and jump over and over to try and get it down, then she like does this to him. And it's like, damn. So I wonder if Kip slept that night <laughs> and not just went over and over all the things he should have done and said. That's what he should do every night. Is be like, I'm the worst. Um, for most punk rock, I wrote down how they kind of trick Barnes into meeting Skull. Oh, that's really good. Because Barnes is all, you owe 60,000 pounds. We're going to shut you down. Blah, 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 blah. And then they just end up laughing him out of their house. Yeah. Even though they are very worried. Lucy thinks of him as a howler monkey at one point. It's yeah. pretty bad. <clears throat> I don't. Yeah, there wasn't any like strong punk no, rock there wasn't really i thought of like lockwood coming up with the plan 
to like solve the murder and turn it, you know, spin shit into gold. Like I said, was like, I was like, that's pretty punk rock, but not really. I don't know. I think I, I, uh, previous to that, I was going to say sword fight in a library, but I don't think punk rock is really against libraries. (laughs) No, it's also like just dumb. It's childish what they're doing. Yeah. So I didn't have any, uh, lore stuff this time or anything like that. I, I think we've talked about everything that can fight a ghost anyway, so. All right. Well, if you have anything to add, you can follow the show on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast, or you can follow me on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. You can send us emails, contact at Hollowed Ground Media, or go to the contact page and fill out the form, hollowedgroundmedia.com slash contact. And remember to taunt the police officer in your home. <laughs>